Greetings. This is Joe Bonamassa, and I rarely do this. My conversation with the comedian Jeff Garland was a frank, wonderful exchange of ideas and, and how he explained the craft of comedy. But I also blew the intro, and he wouldn't let me do another intro. So I'm kind of doing this intro in spite, but also in honor of him. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, you know him from the Goldbergs, Curb Your Enthusiasm, and his wonderful stand-up comedy routines, Mr. Jeff Garland. You know what I'm doing in the fall? I'm um, going on a tour in September, because at that point, I will be vaccinated. Right. And um, I'm going on a tour. I need to build up again. You know, prior to COVID, the, lo the longest I ever went, and I'm not exaggerating, not doing stand-up in 38 years, Mm -hmm. two, two weeks right and it will be over a year and a half the next, wow. the next time i do it because my style is not designed to do on zoom or to do these uh drive-in shows no thank you not my not my thing yeah. but i'm going to all these what's that Honk, honk if you think it's funny. Yeah, I know. If, or even like on Zoom, it interrupts you. Like, you know, like it cuts off one person's microphone. Well, it's just, it's bad. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to all these clubs because I need to get back in shape. But I'm doing a tour of, I think, 14 clubs around the country mm -hmm. with not getting paid. I'm not getting paid. I want them. I'll pay for my own airfare, my own hotel. I want these clubs have been hit hard yep. and I can afford it to work for free and I'll get back in shape. But they're all like thrilled. Some of my agent told me some of them were crying. They were wow. so grateful. That's and really it, awesome. Well, I, you know, it's like you just rehearse with your band. Okay. Mm -hmm. Being a comedian, I got my dog here with me in my house. Am I? <laughs> what? Hey, Liz, tell me if you think. Well, actually, they did a bit like that on SNL with John Belushi years ago, where he was a a stand-up comic in the forest playing to animals, and yeah. it was it was very funny. But no, I have no I have no way of rehearsing except by being a person. Yeah, I mean, and you got a woodshed. This is all great. I'm, I'm going to count down from five and give you the introduction, and 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 we'll just. This is it. This is the non-interview. Well, by the way, just so you know, how long I've been doing this, I thought we already started. Right, right. I just got to give you an intro. You know. Well, no, but but give me an intro. Here, can I recommend something? Yes. I love what we just talked about. You don't have to include it, but give an intro in the middle of the show. Give an intro, like give an intro right now, and 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 you know, let people at first go, well, who's that? What's he? Oh, yeah, you know, this is a first. If you're wondering who my guest is today, that's it. Live from Nerville. Yes, my guest is not only my friend, one of the funniest people alive. You know him from his work on uh, Arrested Development, The Goldbergs, and of course, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Curb Your Enthusiasm, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. Let me do that again. Nice. You're not a perfectionist. What are you talking about? Don't. This is no. I'm better no than one's that. expecting you. No one would judge you on a one word correction. See, real is the beauty of life. And real is when you play a, a note on a two. It's like, what the fuck? And you fix it. And we're all there. We see it. It's great. The only time you 
maybe want to go for having the perfect thing is if you're making uh, uh, um, uh, an album, right. you know, that's not live. But I love, you're a human being, Joe. You're not Mr. Speaker. When did I... you become a host? Stop it. You're fine. All right. It's I'm not going to talk about I'm this. Interested. I'm not letting you do another intro. Oh, I will interrupt them all. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. And by the way, yeah. um, the only reason why I, I want to do it again is my bullshit Italian pride and the two chips that I have on my shoulders. That's the only reason. Otherwise, yeah. it was fine. And by the way, pride, one of the thing, a thing that ego, pride, that shit gets you in trouble. It does. It's got. I me know. In- I know. Yeah. yeah. So, and by the way, I'm a Jew, and I'm proud of you, my Italian friend. I'm proud you. of you. Do you know my brother told me the other day when I said I was going to do this with you? He said, and this is verbatim, you know he's my number one. I, I go, you're number one. He goes, by far, my favorite of all the favorites. Well, thank you. Tell your brother yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very... Michael. He'll watch this. Thank you, Michael. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm on. And you'll meet him someday. I'll bring him to a show or, you know, whatever. Well, that's, you know, it's exciting that you're getting back on the road. We're going to go do some shows at the end of March. Really? And Where and how? We're, we're doing red states. We're doing Florida, Texas, Alabama, and Georgia. And, um, and they're truncated audiences, but they're, they are audiences. And one of the things that we did in the fall was we did this pay-per-view live stream event, and, and we're doing another one in Austin. And it was we had 2,100 cardboard cutouts of human beings in the in the room, and they were for a minute you would squint your eyes a little bit and you're ripping into a solo and you actually felt like there was a crowd until the end of the song and it's silence and all the all you heard was okay hold the, on the footsteps of the text bringing the other instruments. By the way, can I say this? That gives you a little idea, little idea, not huge, because people at home watching, of course, were like, wow, that was great. But you get a little idea what it's like to bomb. That's uh, I like to ask you that question. What do you yeah. do when you bomb? Because that, to me, that that's the that's the true pro. It's like when everything goes as planned and you're getting the laughs and you're getting, you know, every it's like, yeah, this is the way it was supposed. That's the way I wrote it or whatever. And and then it and it tanks. Because to me, comedy. Stand-up comedy is the is the sports equivalent would be boxing. It's the longest three minutes of your life. It's the longest 15 minutes, longest hour. What yeah. do you do? Uh, I, at this point in my career, embrace it. When mm-hmm. I say embrace it, I try communicating with an audience the best I can. And I can, that's where the art goes out the window and craft takes over. Mm-hmm. You have to go to the things you've learned. I've been doing this 38 years, almost as old as, as you are, okay? 38 right. fucking years. So I have bombed at least, when I say bomb, I mean like bomb at least 500 times, at okay. least, if not more. And you, you have to go to craft. And by the way, for me at this point in my career, the craft works. So I'd say that I bomb bomb maybe once a year. Mm-hmm. I have shows that I don't enjoy because I have to go into the craft and work harder than I have to. And I come up in a pool of sweat and the audience has no idea they're sucky. I don't tell them they're sucky. Although if there is a level of silence, you have to 
talk about the elephant in the room, but that's always a good way to get them back. Because if you're vulnerable, yet confident and in control, they embrace that. So calling it out also can be very, very helpful. Well, you know, the thing is, too, is like it's like I know as soon as the, 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 the lights go out, like during the intro tape, I know exactly what I'm inheriting. Now, it could be it could be Monday is electric and Friday's dead. And you're like, well, it's Friday night, you know, and then you just go, I got to work harder tonight. But yep. it, it's 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 that's well, when you in the 10,000. It's the gig, man. We're whether we're artists or not, we're professional entertainers. We are professionals, mm-hmm. true professionals. That means when Monday they're going ape shit, it's like, how lucky am I? Friday, I'm also lucky to have a show, but right. fuck, this is not going to be as fun. Because for me, my style, I improvise a lot. If the audience is good, it only winds me up in a bigger way and the show is better. But on the nights when I resort to craft, resort to craft um, they don't know it's not as good a show as the night before. They have no idea. And I, hopefully they like it. But it's, you know, the fun makes me excited. Right. Now, what's the difference between bombing when you're an unknown comedian and when you're a major celebrity? There's one big difference. Trust. Right. When I'm me now, they, even if I'm not doing well initially or they're not vibing with me initially, they trust that I know what I'm doing. They paid to see me. When I was a young comic, who the fuck is this guy? Get him off and please bring on the next guy. I have no, I've I've not earned anything with them over a period of work and time. So when you bomb at the beginning, they want nothing to do with you. And the most impressive recoveries, and they're few and far between, are when a young comic recovers from bombing, because that is fucking rare. When you're, you know, three years into it and you're eating it, you basically have to go in your head, I'm eating it. That's all that's going to happen tonight. It's not turning around, you know, because it's not. They don't trust you. Well, you know, that's the thing. It's like, you know, I crack a few dry jokes and I can get a, I, I can get the room to laugh. And I do probably three or four minutes of material on the city that I'm in, you right. know. And I have the ultimate escape hatch because when I yep. die, I go, and a three and a four, Anton, let's go. Let's, <laughs> let's keep the show going, you know, and, and you're done, you know. And but, you know, like, you know, a few of my friends are like, you should you, 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 you'd have a second career. I go, there's no way I would get up on any an open mic night and do any kind of material, because to me, it would be very it, it, the, the minute it didn't go as planned. I would, I, I, it, I had, I have nothing. I'm, there's no net and you're just going to oh, By the way, I always tell young comics, you better be in this for the long haul. Cause if you're not, um, sometimes people are like, well, if I don't get famous and then I know what they're about, you know, it was, um, if I don't get famous by a certain time, I'm out or this is too hard. The, it, it, I think it was, a. Uh, uh, um, uh, Parcells, the football coach, Bill. who was talking about a football player, and he said he loves football. He loves football. He uh, plays football because he loves football, not because of what football brings him. 
Right. And there are people in music, people in comedy, people in sports who are doing it because they love it, right. love it. And then there are, are comedians I, I know and I see and I go, they're just in it for the fame, the social media, someone's filling them. And I'm not saying that people who are doing it because they love it aren't insecure and don't have problems. But I'm saying it's so clear when someone is not doing it because they love it. And I love, for me, I forget, I mean, look, I'm a big fan of music. I love music. Uh, but um, by the way, my album uh, that you worked on with Joanna is coming to me this week. Oh, great. Thank you very much. Sure, I gigged, I gigged with her at Chicago Music Exchange. We ah. did a show. Uh, it was actually for Gibson at Chicago Music uh, uh, Exchange. She is a badass. Holy crap, Joanna Connor. Wow. And then I know you worked on this album with her, and I'm getting it. You know, it. Th thank you very much. And, and she earned it. You know, she's one of those kind of artists that out of sight, out of mind, you know, she was sitting there doing those gigs in, you know, Kingston Mines in Chicago doing... Yeah, that was her spot. Yeah, yep. it, it, five nights a week, four-hour shifts. And, you know, we, we all knew her, you know, in, in the from the 90s. And she just was underserved by the business, you know, because it, it's music and business. And I saw a video of her at some festival that somebody took and they posted. And, you know, and here she is, like, this, this bull in a china shop like with bad intentions. And I go, if we could bottle that and, 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 and put it in a span of an album, right. find, this, find that devil, find that demon and, it, and, and, and you know, exacerbate you know, what's already there and, and, and build on it. And I was just so proud of her because cause I, I, I told her, I said, we have to suspend our friendship while I do this for you because I'm, I'm going to push you and you're going to hate me. Push, you got to. That's awesome. I cannot wait to hear it. Because I, I love her. When she gets going with the slide, I'm like, stand back. Wow. Yeah, she's a badass. What about, what is it about Chicago that produces that kind of artistry, both on a comedic side and, and a music side? Because there's, you know, you're from Chicago, you know, you know the second city. Comedians, yeah, I mean, Bob Newhart, you could go back to. You know, uh, yeah, and, and blues. Do I need to explain Chicago and the blues to your people watching this? I do not. Yeah. But it's the same it's, thing. You know, it's, it's like the, one of the best food towns in the world. It's, it's there's something it's, about it. It's so. I just know in Chicago, there's no bullshit. Mm. Do you know why they call Chicago the Windy City? No. Not because of winter. Right. And by the way, I've been knocked over by the wind in the winter. It's the Windy City because of politics. Mm -hmm. They blow their crap. Right. So politics in Chicago can be a dicey and a bit much. Yes. Yet outside of that, it's the most real, hardworking, no bullshit place. Mm -hmm. If you're full of shit, ain't nobody digging you in Chicago. Right. That's a fact. And also, Chicago's one of those, if you build it, they will come. Truly, you can put on a show in a little bar. It's going to get reviewed. And if people dig it, they're coming. Right. They're coming. So, it, Chicago, you just have to be a worker. A worker and care. And I don't know why 
people are born there that way, but it is. Uh, but politics is full of shit. Other than that, amazing. It seems like the, 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 that in the state of Illinois, it, it's not uncommon for, for political leaders to serve time in jail for corruption. Yes, yes, yes. But, but I mean, uh, I, I mean, the, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and we've had our share of serial killers, <laughs> you know, I don't want to even say their names, but everyone knows their names. Um, that being said, it is just a hard work. The Midwest, the Midwest, the Midwest. Yeah. And you know what I, where I also, I find that feeling. And one of my favorite cities to gig is Nashville, mm-hmm. Nashville. The difference is you really got to earn it because they've seen everything. Yes. Musically, that that vibe. That yeah. vibe. In Nashville, if I don't bring my A game, I'm dead. I am right. dead because that's you got to earn it there. Chicago, they're more giving, but still they sense where, when you're full of shit or not. Yeah, and, and, and they tell you. I've had great you. Chicago and, I, and I've, and I've, you know, for no fault of my own, it's just that you weren't feeling well, and then you mail some in, and and and, and, and it's, way, how can that not happen? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're humans, you know. But by the way, imagine gigging in Kingston Mines as much as Joanna did. By the way, I my favorite is blues, yeah, and, and I, across the street, and um, I go in there. Boy, the way it's packed in, the way it is. If you're not delivering mm-hmm. in that intimate setting, these people are going to be yammering, and but yet they're all like, "Wow, wow!" Yeah. There's Larry Bell. Look at him go. Right. You know, I find dynamics in delivery makes people pay attention. If it's every if everything is at one pace or at one volume, they get bored. It, it get, they get bored. The best applause I get every night is when I bring it down or I suck them in. And they don't expect something, you know, like that. What's going to come after? How do so, you, a comedian, you know, there there are comedians that literally will just go up there and shout the act at you, and it's at one level. And then there's some people that lower their, you know, the timbre of their voices, and it's a real, it's a real art. I have the most. Well, no, I would, I would actually say it's a real craft. Craft. Yeah. That's where the craft comes in. But for me, okay, so for me, I'm an, I'll improvise from an outline, like. I literally will play a different song every night when I walk on stage, and then I'll discuss who that's who's singing. It's usually something that's not a popular song or they might not know. And then I'll discuss it. I'll say what feelings it brings out, and that leads me on my set. Right. That's where where I go. So some nights, especially when I'm relying on craft, there can be lulls and this sort of thing. But what I find fascinating is when uh, a musician and I'm not want to mention names of bands or whatever. There are bands that I love that can't put together a running order to save their lives. Yeah. Whereas let's talk about the Rolling Stones. Mick Jagger singularly is in charge of the running order and he obsesses over it, right. obsesses over it because running order is, especially if you know songs. Yes. You might surprise yourself, surprise the audience. That running order doesn't stop you from doing that. But if you have the running order where you build that sort of thing in, wow, so you can do that. I, I'm 58 years old. Mm-hmm. I, I, I improvise my sets. I'm now about to go down the path. When I start in the fall, I'm going to be building an actual 45 minute to an hour show. 
Right. I believe I'm going to go on tour in in and or Australia and Europe. I've gotten offers and theaters. Right. I'm getting too old to make up shit. I mean, right. not that I won't always. Like, if you have a right. running order, like, fellas, we're going to play this now instead. And your band's your band. They know what, you know, they'll go with it. Yeah. I'll always improvise. But I have to, at this point, stop. And I've been improvising for, like I said, I've been doing this 38 years. I have to have something. So when I'm 70 and I'm working still, which I want to, yeah. um, I can know when I go out what my set is. That doesn't mean I can't go off on a tangent. Doesn't right. mean I'm not. But by the way, when I go on stage, I'm, I'm truly myself and I'm a human being. So I'll yell for a while. I'll go down. The yelling is when I'm inspired. Yeah. The quiet is not when I'm trying to get them to come in, but just it calls for quiet. It calls for me to talk like this. And then can you believe that happened? Like I've been complimented uh, with weird compliments. And the two compliments I get, I'm the most relaxed comedian in the business, mm -hmm. which don't you want to be the most <laughs> funny? Right. I've been, and also I'm one of the great... Uh, comedic yellers in terms of my acting and stuff because I yell and I can be funny yelling which I've been told is uh, art or skill I take those both to heart I always want to be the funniest yeah. and the best but I'll take those that's my skill set what do you think about comedy in 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 the sense of um you know I, I remember a few years back that uh, Kevin Hart was one of the first comedians and maybe even the only comedian that ever headlined and sold out a stadium. And right. I said, that's an impressive feat of, of your popularity and, and, and your draw and how hot, you know, the, 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 the comedian is. And I said to myself, I said, I wouldn't want to be sitting way in the back because that's not to okay. me how okay. it's delivered. You know, is the venue makes a big difference. Am I correct? Yes. Without a doubt. I find comedy to be such an intimate art form. I think the blues are too. Mm -hmm. And don't forget, I saw you at what the, the pineapple it's called out in the West. Mount Valley. Sugar Mill. Yeah, with you and Jimmy Vivino. Right. And seeing you in the intimate setting is so ooh, ugh, love it. And I don't know that I'd want to see you in uh, Soldier Field. Right. I mean, I'd want to, knowing that you're doing great, making a lot of scratch for that night, all that. And I'm not saying you wouldn't have a great show. I, Kevin Hart, by the way, that's what, and by the way, I think Kevin Hart's funny and I love him. And he's also a really lovely guy, yeah. but that's his thing. He wants to be that big. It's about his draw. It's about, it's not, I'm sorry, but when you play Veterans Stadium, you can't have the funniest show in town. It's not going to happen because it's just too fucking big. I did this. Louis C.K. was playing The Forum, which mm -hmm. is still a big fucking place for comedy. Okay, 12,000, yeah, 13,000. Yeah. I saw um, Peter Frampton there somewhere mm -hmm. in the middle. I bought tickets. His last tour. Right. Fantastic. Great for that. But comedy. So Louis gave me a ticket. Fifth row center. Yeah. I Two of them. I went by myself. I took those two tickets. I went to the last row of the forum. Right. And I said to a couple sitting there, I said, hi. They go, Jeff Garland, which was 
I, I thank God. I, 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 but I don't ever give a shit about being recognized. I prefer not to. I'm a big fan of napping. But in this instance, because I was about to make them very fucking happy and I got credit for it, I gave them my fifth row center tickets and I took their last row of the forum tickets and I watched Louie from the last row and I'm seeing this thing. I thought it really affected the the thing, the response. It just, it wasn't organic. Like to me, I saw Rodney Dangerfield, George Carlin, numerous other people as a kid growing up in uh, theaters that were 2,500 seats. And I thought that's maxing out. That's, you don't want to in comedy. I don't think you can share the intimacies of comedy in anything bigger than let's say 3,000 seats. That would be max out for me. The first guy to do it, I know I'm talking a lot, but maybe you like that. Oh, that's great. The first guy to go big, bigger than anybody before was Eddie Murphy. Right. He was the first one that took it to stadium level or big. I mean, he if he kept going, he could have played stadiums like Kevin yeah. Hart, you know? Um, and who knows if he ever went on tour again, he could probably draw anything he wanted. Um, yeah. So. Well, that's the thing is like, you know, it, it was the eighties where the, the superstar comedians, the arena fillers. And, and then you started seeing like a lot of stuff that comes in my world. I'm like, I, I know who's blowing stuff up. I know where you got those screens and the lights and the PA and yeah. And, you know, and then I, I remember watching that movie, The Kings of Comedy, and then you know, hearing about you know there was a there was a Dice Clay did live from Madison Square. Well, Dice Clay was the second one right. after Eddie that did Giant because when he played the Garden, for example, that was a huge deal. Yeah. Only Eddie had done that before, so now here's another guy doing it. It was like wow, you know, and yes, that was '80s, early '90s. And and you know, it, it's to me, it's like you know. I have a I have a friend who's a, a a comedy agent, and we were having dinner one time, and and he and he told me he goes, and I, and I was just you know I asked him about the business, and there's a lot of there's a lot of parallels from music oh, to comedy. Of course, it's, of it's, course, it's the entertainment business, right? The, but by the way, I do want to say for the record mm-hmm. that when you're successful, comedy is much better to you than the, because you get fucked in the music industry, no matter how big you are, medium, doesn't matter. Comedy, you get fucked when you're not successful yet. You're treated like crap. You're not respected. It's just natural that way. But as you become more successful, you're treated, you, you get screwed over a lot less. But the music business, man, as much as you say, oh, I couldn't do, I couldn't do the music business. Oh. There are so many shysters in your business that don't exist in movies, television, and stand-up comedy, where I'm like, wow. There's also great people that I know, too, like behind the scenes and stuff. But, but overall, you know, every, I, yeah. I, I had a concert promoter tell me one time, because, you know, you get paid um, you get a basic guarantee and then you get points if you sell out. So right. this is a place in Germany and the guy goes, and, 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 you know, I knew how to read sold out in German, you know, I'm not a linguist, but I knew how I knew what it meant, you know? So I'm like, great. You know, we, you know, sold out gig, you know, we're gonna get a little points, a nice little taste at the end. No problem. Right. Should have just been a, agreed upon the place held, let's say 500 people for easy math. Right. Tour manager comes to me and goes, he's not going to give us the points. And I'm like, really? I go, it said sold out. So pay us on the 500 seats. 
and then and then there's some back and forth and finally a promoter comes in and he goes like you know he goes uh, Joe um, your, uh, your 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 attendance was was four four oh one and I said well I thought it was so he goes well the difference between your audience and some other audiences is that they're older and fat that's what he told me <laughs> scumbag and, and I'm like I'm like okay you got me on that one and then. And then we started promoting our own shows. And you're like, ah, okay. And there's so much money left on the table. Not that it's all about the money, but again, no, it's- No, no, but by the way, we're professionals. This is what we do. Right. So don't tell me, you know, that someone's like, Yo, well, you should be happy with what you got, or which I've heard those before. Yeah. But by the way, when I was younger and every penny counted and I'm supposed to get $400, they go, I'm only paying you two tonight. What yeah. are you going to do about it? Right. All the time. But as you grow, they don't they don't ever try. No one tries screwing you later on. And, you know, and, and it's it's different because, you know, I mean, I my friend who's the comedy agent, he had a great line and he, he told me, he goes, listen, you know, in, in well, this was in 2019 when we had this conversation. He goes, he goes, listen, my comedians are one joke away from a Netflix special and one joke away from being canceled. All in the same night. He goes, it could be you're a hero and then you're out. And I'm like, man, I, I just, I, I think it, that's a, that's well, a. Well, by the way, I'm, I know we said that, but in reality, that's not true. That's simplifying something. Right. You're not going to get canceled unless you're an out and out racist, right? Uh, a complete Nazi live in concert. Because people know it's, comedy so you're not going to get canceled you might get canceled from something you tweet you might get canceled from something you say on the street to tmz you won't from your show and on the flip side it's a year of killing and maybe netflix will go yeah we've heard about her or him whatever so that's simplifying it but it is true because they're both if you put in the work, you can get canceled and you can also be really successful. Yeah. And it's it, it, it's it's because you're dealing with it's 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 your thoughts, it's your emotions, it's your delivery. It's it. And and and, and they try to they try to they get a glimpse into your soul. And like, you know, and sometimes you just want to go like, well, you know, some, maybe that, that's a character, you know. Well, and, 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 and But unfortunately for me, it's me when I go on stage, but I always, and I do Q and A towards the end, which could be risky, you know, in terms of what I might say, but I always say the same thing and you'll understand this. I go tonight I have, and if I haven't, I'm surely will momentarily say something stupid. Why? Because I'm a man. We say stupid shit. We think stupid shit. But one thing I'm not is ignorant. And I will not say anything tonight that you would record, play for somebody and go, I didn't know Jeff Garland was hateful. I didn't know Jeff Garland was racist. No, that won't happen. That's impossible. Because my mind doesn't work that way. I'm not going to go there. But I will say something stupid. I always do. Always. (laughs) Can't help it. Men, we say stupid things. Always. Is it is it uh, important to push the barrier though? Is it is it important to try to get it, you know, not not say hateful racist things, but to be to be edgy and and Hold and, and when and, people and, say, I, I want to clarify that I'm following what you're saying. Mm-hmm. In terms of edginess, 
Are you being edgy to be edgy or are you trying to be funny? If you're trying to be funny and have a point, but the point's got to be secondary. They have to be laughing to absorb if there is a message. So if it's funny, I don't think it's a problem. But so that whole pushing the envelope, it's like, you know, what? The, besides not being funny, one of my pet peeves, besides the term pet peeve uh, that, that I can't stand is when comedians or television shows or movies try being clever. Right. Clever is an enemy of comedy. So yeah. if you're up there being clever, people go, oh, how about that? You're not doing your job. Right. You're supposed to be there to, you can enlighten, but that's secondary to being funny. That's why somebody like Rodney could go up and they're all jokes and you know they're jokes. Uh, and then there's other people who like Robin Williams would do, say funny things and jokes, but he also had some messages that he wanted to get out. But it's right. all mixed in with his brilliance. So right. I'm not a big believer in someone pushing the envelope. I think do what you do. And if the envelope is pushed, all the more power to you. Right. And, it, and it's natural. You know, it's, yeah. like, it, it's the same thing with music. It's like if you're if you're trying to be clever for the sake of like trying to get the respect of the 10 musician buddies that you have. Well, you, they- played, you did that video I saw about the worst possible thing that you can play, yeah. which might be impressive for for moving. That was recent, wasn't it? My 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 series of Jobo's pro tips, which yeah, people right, and, and that was in there. Yeah, someone might go, "Oh, he's fast." What the fuck does that mean? It's the nuance of playing. Are you West Montgomery or are you some guy in a club? Which you're like, get me the fuck out of here. Get me the. He's so skilled, but fuck him. You know, right. where you, you watch West and you go, oh, like you're amazed and you're like in a dream world. It. It, it hits your soul. It has to, you know, the, the right. It has to hit your soul. Right. And by the way, when people come see me do comedy, I want them to leave the show not only satisfied, but with a piece of me to right. feel like I got him. And I feel that when I see great musicians, I feel a piece of them. Not that I know them, but they've given me their soul in their playing. Right. Beautiful. Beautiful. You, you know, uh, a few of my friends have had this conversation recently, and, and I uh, about like the, the new world. You know, I, the people are taping, and and it's a different world, social media and everything. And I said, you know, one of the things I actually I, I feel sorry for the younger generation of musicians, comedians, and stuff like that is they cannot leave the bad gigs on the stage and in the room. It's it's like it's you know a terrible place to be a young comedian that's all i can speak from yeah. and, and you also a terrible show as a stand up but that that's why you don't let's say you're a young comic and for whatever reason you get a stand up gig on a national talk show first off it's not as big it used to be your roseanne bar at the time and you go on the tonight show the next day you're a huge star Those days are long behind us. But I've always believed don't do anything until you're ready, like really, really ready. And that's why it's really good when you're starting out to do shows that are not well attended, not talked about. Play the underbelly. Like Mm -hmm. that good where the least amount of it's like a strategy that I didn't have to worry about and you didn't have to worry about. Right. But. 
performers today, they got to worry about being seen before their time. And Lord knows if they, with cancel culture, you make a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. You just, you know, and it's, there's not a, there's not a, there's not the woodshedding part of the craft and and the art isn't there because everybody's expecting it to be perfectly polished, you know, either Netflix ready or, or Madison Square. Why we're not going to, we're, we're not going to see as many great comedians in the future as we have in the past because right. people can't develop. You can see sparks and maybe mm-hmm. that'll lead to an acting career, but you're not going to see the Dave Chappelle's of the world who were allowed to bomb and no one knew when yeah. they were bombing and growing. Yeah. And, and, and you leave your mistakes on the stage. That's, yeah. that's what I love about live performing is, is, you know what? You're only as good as your last gig. And, and, I, and I take solace in the fact that March 12th, 2020, we played Milwaukee at the Riverside Theater and we were fucking good. Our band was fucking good. And that was my last show in front of people. And I said, you know, if it's it, I'm out. Well, by the way, imagine your last show bombing or you know, I can say bombing to you even yeah. a shitty show where you, by the way, so, this is really funny. People ask me about bombing. We're talking about bombing. There are nights where it's not my fault. My groove is going, they're just not into me. Whatever they had for dinner, whatever their day of work was like, whatever their significant others, how they treated them. You know, it's an audience is like an organism, you know? And there's some nights where I'm grooving and I'm like, oh fuck, go to my craft, do the best I can. But the nights that kill me, that kill me are when I go up and they're ready and I suck. Holy shit. Does that beat the crap out of me? I cannot function until I get on stage again because I sucked. I, and that is the worst thing. So to go out into Coronaville and and have your last show be one where you sucked, wow, would that be? It's unfinished business. And, and the reason why I like touring is because of if I if I was terrible the night before making stupid mistakes, fundamentals, you know, like stuff right. you played a million times, you're distracted, whatever, just not not in it just you, the, the stars didn't align. I always, you know, if that's Monday, I, I got Tuesday to redeem myself. It's like it's one it's one step and repeat. It's 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 it's. You're, 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 you know, you're just going, oh my God, you're celebrated and then you're redeemed if you're not, you know, and, and I love oh, yeah. that rhythm, you know. Well, by and the I, way, that Tuesday night crowd, that's the crowd I want to be in where the night before it wasn't so great because yeah. you're going to fucking tear it up. You, right. You're because you're, you take great, and I said it was a bad thing, pride in what you do. Yes. You know, um, yeah. Question. Um, you use the word craft. Can you tell the audience, like, like just a few, like, okay, I got to use the craft tonight. What, what, what is? Well, in there's the- a craft in filmmaking. There's a craft in. There's a craft in everything that I do, and the craft is almost like the rules. Right. Like, uh, I mean, the rules. Look at BB King. He didn't know any chords, so. I don't know what he did when he had to go for something else, but knowing the chords is part of your craft, knowing how to do the fingers, but having that be second, not even in your head. I know what I'm doing as I play. There's that's the craft of knowing it's almost like within the rules, like here's my craft. Here's how I know how to do it. Here's what I've learned. The art 
is how you bend it, how you become Joe Bonamassa, how you become B.B. King. You take what's there, what everyone learns, and you go, now I make it my own. Right. Now I bend it this way and bend it that way. Not even consciously trying to bend. You're just true to yourself. Right. So the craft is the and you can't do that unless you know the craft. Right. The craft of acting, I can't do things with acting if I don't know how to act, if I haven't figured that out. I, same with stand, like all of it. The craft is the basics, but knowing them so you don't even think about them, that's yeah. knowing your craft. I hope that made sense. It does make sense. And, and there's a thing, though, I, I always say the last 10% of, of any performer's you know, success is the is the undefinable quality the star quality mm -hmm. and because i know people that 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 want it so bad they they have it all they have studied the craft they have they have done the homework they can play they can write they can sing and there's something that doesn't connect with the audience and then they seem they see this bozo with a weird last name selling out you know albert hall and they're like like, well, what, what is it? And, I, and I'm not saying I'm a star, but I also learned from performers and I learned from, from, from folks that, that when I see Buddy Guy walk out, okay, B.B. King, Paul Rogers, Eric Clapton, whatever, it's, they, they don't have to do anything other than smile and they have the crowd in the palm of their hands. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's a, they're in control. But that can't be taught. That can't be not be taught. That is not, that is the separate. I had people, I remember in acting class, there was this one guy in my college acting class, I'll never forget. He had all of it. He could, uh, not all of it, but I mean, he was such a finite, beautiful actor, amazing. He had zero on charisma. It's fucking zero on charisma. Right. So I said, I hope there's a supporting role where he doesn't need to have charisma because that dude will not be a star. It's just not in the cards. Whereas, by the way, the flip of that is when you see some pop stars or some actors or actresses, and you know they're not really great at what they do, but they have boatloads of fucking charisma, that pulls you through. The best artists, the ones that you want to see, are the ones who have the craft, the artistry, and the quality. But right. that's not handed out right and left. That's not, you know, um, you, it's all a, a journey and figuring it out. But that's the part that mm -hmm. you cannot teach. Yeah, and 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 it's and it's the un it, it, and you can explain it to somebody, and if they don't, they don't understand it. Be like, but wait a minute, I, I studied this, and and I have charisma. Like, yeah. no, you studied charisma. It's 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 like, can you take the air out of a room? Can you can you can you just at the drop of a hat entertain people? You know, because we are in the entertainment business. That's right. A gigantic umbrella. You know? Right. You 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 were hanging. You know. You know. Second City. I, I read that that you and Stephen Colbert were like ticket takers or worked. We were ticket takers, but we worked in the box office of Second City together. Right. And I remember his first day. I looked at him and went, "Who's this guy?" And I went, "I wonder what he's here for." I didn't know, you know. Yeah. And then he's become. And by the way, I saw him on stage at Second City, and I knew why he was there. He was great. The one guy at Second City when I was there where you just couldn't deny 
that he was a star with Steve Car- Steve Carell. Right. Steve Carell. But here's the thing about, you know, nobody was talking about him. Like I'm in the audience going, oh my God. Like I couldn't believe I'm laughing so hard. Why is no one talking about this guy? Why? Right. Because there was, there's at Second City, this was really bad. Jealousies, mm-hmm. you know, and everyone's got their own agenda. Look next to you and there's Steve Carell, who's amazing. Right. You know, um, I love my my favorite. My two favorite comedians are Richard Pryor and Jack Benny. And one thing that Jack Benny was known for known for was being the hardest laugher at other comedians. That's what I take pride in. Man, if you're funny, I love to grab my stomach and laugh. Right. I just watched Brian Regan's uh, Netflix special just came out and. Damn, if uh, at least a half dozen times I didn't grab my stomach from something that he did. I st- I started with him, by the way. And so I'm really happy every time I see him. But he makes me laugh hard, you know. And that's it. You know, it's kind of the parallel in blues. It's it. It is probably the most argued about form of guitar playing, and 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 you know, at least in my world, it, it, and it's like it's like. You know, I root for kids because the more people involved in the community, the stronger the community is. It's right. like it's like there's only one Eric Gales, there's only one Joanna Connor, there's only right. one whoever. You just like people who've made their lanes and and have made the marks in their in their careers. So there's room for everybody. It's not there's like a lot of really good young players though that I see and know Tyler. You know. I, He's great. Yeah, he's he's great. Um, and what's the kid from England? The young kid who reminds me of you, Toby. Toby. Yeah, I did with him uh, at a Gibson show, the, the Gibson comeback show, uh, and uh, remarkable. I mean, yeah. remarkable. And by the way, both sweet kids. And how about uh, Kingfish? Kingfish is great. I, I I hosted his birthday party. Not, I mean, his birthday show here in L.A before COVID. And I was so honored. And he's such a sweet kid, Mr. Garland. He called me like, what a sweetie, but watching him play, my God, thank you. It's, it's still going, you know, it's like jazz and blues. I want to be inspired. I do root for the people, but it's an, it's an art form that the masses never jump. You're the most successful blues artist by what we call a country mile. Because people who don't necessarily love the blues go to your shows. And I'm not cutting on them for that, but you get a lot of mainstream music people who come to see you, which to me, hurrah. By the way, if every show you convince a dozen people to dig into John Lee Hooker or Buddy Guy. It's a win. It's it's a a huge win. You know, I always say the guy in the suit and the sunglasses for any budding musician is proof of concept. I can do it. You can do it. It's just, it's that simple. And well, you and, can do it, but you may not do it as well as you do it, but you can do it. And I agree with you. You can, you can, if you have a dream and you have the, uh, you have the chutzpah to go, go, go get that dream. Yeah. You know, and it, it's just, it, it's really, it, it's important because it's not like, well, you know, it's like, well, like, well look what Joe Bonamassa's got. It's like, it, it, it doesn't matter. I, I started off my, my room 
just like everybody else with a damn guitar and a copy of Stevie Ray's Texas Flood and Jimi Hendrix's yeah. experience going, I, I don't know what this is, but I want in on it, you know? And, and I worked- How did you not end up? I, I, can I ask you a couple questions now? Sure, come on. Okay. How did you not end up? And I know you collect everything and you have everything and you play everything, but you're a Les Paul guy. Yes. That's your modus operandi. I am not, I, I am not accomplished enough. Here's my problem with me playing. I will play Get Mediocre, and that's not cutting on me. It's just a fact. I'm a comedian. That's what my skill set is. Right. I'll Get Mediocre, but the minute I have to film for a month straight, mm-hmm. I forget everything, and I'm back at square one with my teacher. Like right. even learning chords, even learning the fingerboard, all right. All of that. So I don't have, I have Les Pauls, I have 335s, I have Strats, I have Tellys. Uh, that's pretty much my thing, but I have a bunch of them. I don't know which one I favor. I know what, I kind of love 335s and Tellys, but mm-hmm. I don't know that I'm not going to end up being a softie. I wrote you, I just got, I bought that 59 hardtail Strat. Nice. I traded actually, I completely traded for some other guitars. But the point is, how did you not end up a Strat guy? What moved you, especially starting with Hendrix and Stevie Ray, what moved you to Les Paul? And not that you don't still use a Strat, but you know what I mean. Little Rock, Arkansas. I was opening up for a band called Indigenous at the time. And, you know, I'm, I'm an opening act, okay? And I have 35, 45 minutes. And I'm also making $150, $250 from the promotion. And I got hotels for two guys in a in a crew um, in a van. You're and I losing got, money to to learn how to play. If I don't sell CDs in between the sets, which is the fat part of the the night between right. the opener, that half hour, that's where you're gonna do all your business. If I don't sell CDs, I'm out of business. And I used to have this little piece that I did. I was a predominantly a Strat guy and a Fender guy. I mean, like I most right. of my collection is Fender. Right. And. Right. Um, I bought a Strat today in the parking lot of Soundcheck in Nashville. The guy just shows up and I'm like, hey, great. Which one did you buy? I bought a 63 hardtail Strat that he found. You know, he knew where to go. I'm a big fan of hardtails, just want to say. I I don't use the track. So I did, I used to have this little classical bit that I would do with the volume control and a delay pedal. And it it sounded like a cello or a violin and, and it would get people to get quiet. And then they would, you know, and then we go into a slow blues and we get a big round of applause. It was a gimmick. It was a gimmick. It was like a piece off, like I had an amalgamation of like a Bach melody and, and some stuff. When you're an opening act, you have to make your way through and learn that it's, by the way, you learn, you look back now and say it was a gimmick. But I bet you back then when you were doing it, you thought, this is cool. It's going to get them. And it's going to get them. And my yeah. job was, was and, and no offense to anybody I've ever opened up, my my mission in life was to siphon off as many of their fans to become Joe Bonamassa fans as I could in, right. in a 35-minute period. And I would end my set early on purpose so I'd go sell CDs for another five minutes. Anyway, I did this thing, and the last guy in the CD line, we killed. We sold like 100 CDs that night. It was great. It was like, you know, an extra couple of thousand dollars. And the last guy in the line... Um, he was, he came up to me, he's like, he's like, man, you know, that thing that, 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 that when you played, it sounded like a violin. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I thought he recognized where I nicked it from. Right. Cause he was talking very intelligently about it. And, and it, and it was almost like a, a bit like the, his comedic timing was a, a, quite excellent because he just, the set, the setup was great. 
And he goes, you know that thing that you did, man, it was really eloquent, really well put together. You know, I really loved it. You know, when, when you went into that, it sounded to me just like Stevie Ray Vaughan. And I said, oh, oh I, go, I, go, I go, thank you, sir. You know, I took the compliment. And as we're driving in the van, it's like it's, that moment is replaying in my mind. And I said, that's when I first realized about 20 years ago that people hear with their eyes. It's because I was playing it on a Strat that he associated Strat with Stevie Ray. It doesn't matter if I was doing Latvian polkas up there, okay? It would have sounded like Stevie Ray Vaughan to him. And I said, and, it, and on that tour, I ended up going to play in Gibson showroom in Memphis. And as a, as a token gift, they gave me a Les Paul. And I started doing the exact same bit on the Les Paul. I figured out how to use the front pickup instead of the back. And it never happened to me again. And I said, ding, 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 ding. If I'm going to get my own lane here, I need to somehow shift the instrument and become an artist. It, it will become an act that, that is remembered for something that's not perceived as being derived from someone else. Someone else. And by the way, those motivations kept Clapton going all the years. Like whenever he would get typecast, he'd go, no, 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 no. I have to be my own voice. And that's why he would change the guitars, ultimately, ironically, to a Strat. But Freddie King, who besides Freddie King in the 50s, because he went, later went to, I believe, a 345. I know a 345. Who else blues-wise is known for a Les Paul? Blues. I know Joanne is. I'm talking about the classic blues men. Well, there's pictures of B.B. King in the 50s. Um, yeah, early yeah. 50s the do a thing. You are established as a Les Paul. Who else in blues is established as a Les Paul that's really known? Well, Mike Bloomfield was a was a Les Paul. Bloomfield, Bloomfield went to, by the way, I know I know like you. I'm a, I, That's why I belong in nerd film. Like yeah. Also being a Jew from Chicago, Mike Bloomfield uh, is one of my all-time favorites of what he did with Dylan and stuff. And I know he had the 64 telly, and then he loved the Les Paul. And then because of drugs and the world he was in, he just grabbed whatever he could grab. But yeah. Uh, Mike Bloomfield. So it's a short list. Keep going. Anyone else? Hubert. Hubert Sumlin. Hubert was, Sumlin. But he also was a Strat. I think he was equally a Les Paul slash Strat guy. I think. Am I wrong? My show in San Francisco, the Palace of the Fine Arts. This was years ago. He was. He was like, "Hey, Hubert Sumlin, it's going to come." I was like, "Oh my God, dude, royalty." We're royalty. And, royalty. And, and I and I asked him. I said, "You still got the the, the Les Paul, the gold top, or whatever? It was some guitar he had." And he goes, yeah, I, 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 I'm, he goes, Joe, I'm, I'm actually a Les Paul guy. I, go, I play the Fenders because they give them to me. I'm like, good on you. He goes, good man. Huber was, it, it was it, like all those guys, it's just like, are you going to pay me to play this thing or not? You know, I mean, and. Well, and that's why, and I don't want to say names here at all. And I'm talking about guitarists, numerous guitarists I know will take deals and play uh, certain guitars that are not Gibson or Gretsch, or uh, a Fender, you know, with the classics. They yeah. go into these other ones because they're getting paid. Right. And, you know, I can't be that guy. Ball or whatever is paying them, you right. know, to, um, you know. I, I can't be that guy. I find it would be disingenuous to my audience. Well, it's disingenuous to yourself. In, in, in well, even Springsteen plays 
I mean, he's he's tight with his telly, but he plays that his acoustics are that Japanese company. Takamine. Yeah, there's there's no way a Takamine is better than a fucking Martin or a Gibson. Sorry, I, I'll, I'll wrestle anyone. Yeah, who I mean, it's play. it's you know, it's again, it's like I I watched like you know my favorite players use them as tools. So like so when I play a Les Paul, it's because I have a Les Paul sound sound in my mind for this song. Right. Failure strap. And, and, you know, way I, the way I can have relationships with, with both Fender and Gibson, I always, I always tell Gibson, I go, listen, guys, you're not going to lose me, okay? You know, I, I go, you may, want, may not want to endorse me. I, I don't right. care. I said, but, but you think I'm going to show up with a, with, a, with a Paul Reed Smith the next day? No, because I'm not. No, that's, fucking that's, no offense to Paul Reed Smith. That's their no, thing. No, no offense to Paul. And, yeah. and, and, and the same thing with Fender. So that's why I, I kind of am like one of the few people that actually has deals with both companies because they know, you know, this, I'm, I, I have, it's, it's not, I couldn't do the gig with one. I couldn't do the gig with one. What's uh, his name? Um, Blues Power. What's, what's his name? Um, uh, Nichols. It was a friend, a dear friend. By the way, one of the sweetest guys on earth. Absolutely. So sweetheart. So, He's Gibson, 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 Gibson. He's got his own custom Epiphone, but Gibson, Gibson, Gibson. I give him your... Uh, the telly. Uh, yeah, the telly with the... Because his hands... I mean, I've got pretty big hands. His hands are bigger than mine. That I told you, that neck was ridiculous. I'm like, when did Fender have a neck like this? And you're, you're like, I, I don't know about how they made them. I don't, look, they're not on sale anymore. You can say what you want, but I gave it to him. But before we go into that part of it, he was like, well, what's Gibson going to think of me? I go, their opinion's not going to change. If you're playing this telly ever in your shows, you're going to be fine. Just let them know this song calls for a telly. They know you love Gibson. Yeah. You know? And I know people that have exclusive deals with companies that that they cannot be seen playing anything other than that brand. And and I understand why why musicians take those deals because, you know, everybody's got to make a living and, and it's tough to, to earn money. And, and, and also the profile could be raised with ads and stuff like that. I totally understand but i just i would feel suffocated like knowing that somebody yeah, sure. social media to see if they can spot an off-brand guitar somewhere in the damn you know well, by the way i think artistically and craft wise if you sign with one company it holds you back that's yeah. my opinion yeah that's it, your opinion too obviously well that's yeah true. i mean it's 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 a way of doing things one of the things i want to ask you about because this is this is a subject. And I have one more thing I want to ask you. Oh, go ahead. Go so for you it. Go ahead for, you, do you want to close with it? Because I know we've been on for over an hour. Close with your question. I I, I have one thing that's like okay. it's, it's a it's a it's a it's a thing that I I I struggle with myself, and it's a it's an issue that I'm very passionate about. And by the way, you look great. And and I've had weight management problems my whole life. Okay. And I read a quote that you you summed up basically my diet and, and regime and routine perfectly. And you're one of the few people that have ever explained it in this way is, is I don't, I, I, you know, it was, it was a quote about, I haven't had sugar in three years because if I, if I have a, 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 a cookie or a peanut M&M, it's going to kick in this addiction thing and then it's going to go right back. And, and it's something that, that, that 
I've talked to many people on this program about because because people outside appearances like oh no you could do this and do that but it's a real struggle and it's and it's and it's and it's a, a lifelong struggle and it's a lifestyle that is, is well you are nailing it and for me it started I started in comedy when I was twenty so I've been doing comedy for thirty eight years right. and truly when I was on the road no alcohol. No coke, and I saw people die from both of them. Right. Even famous people that we know, I was close with. Right. Um, I saw lots of people die from this. My addiction, sugar. I would have fruity pebbles, pudding pops, pop tarts, cupcakes, ice cream, all in the condo that the club put me up at. I couldn't feed myself enough. Right. It was a hole. When I approached it like an addiction by stopping eating sugar per se. The biggest thing that I learned, and this is my, it's the only thing I know about this, truly. I chose, I, I lost almost 100 pounds without dieting. Right. Do you hear those words? Without dieting. No dieting. Yes, I eliminated sugar and a lot of junk, common sense. But when I feel something especially if it's negative, sometimes positive, but especially if I'm feeling something that I'm not comfortable with in any aspect of my life, I sit in a chair and I feel it. And it could go for a minute, five minutes, 10 minutes, two hours, two days. You have to sit with your feelings. And the joke of it all is it doesn't get easier. It does. There's never, it's not like when you're learning guitar, this is so hard. And then one day it kicks in and you're like, yeah, look at me, motherfuckers. Right. No, sitting with your feelings sucks the same on day 5,000 as it does on day one. It just sucks. So right. I sit with my feelings. Therefore, I'm not filling myself up with shit to make myself numb. And yeah. also, as you know, with food, the numbing only works so only works for like at first, if I ate a pint of ice cream when I was younger, mm -hmm. I feel good for a long time, not knowing how I was destroying and ravaging my body. Right. But as I got older, the more I did it, it might last five minutes three minutes where I felt numb and then it kicks in and I'm like, and I'm going to tell you a story right now, very quickly. The other day I'm filming a scene on the Goldbergs and I didn't really pay attention that I had to do this scene. And that, and I'm sitting in this restaurant with the girl, Haley Aranthia, who plays my daughter. And they put a cake down at a certain point and she's real upset because it's her and her boyfriend on the cake. He had arranged the dinner. I'm the substitute. And I take from the cake and I go, you don't have to worry about it anymore. I take a thing and I shove it in my mouth and rub it into my face to hopefully make her laugh, but show her I'm destroying the cake. Right. It, the prop master who's in charge of the cake and knows me well, because usually like if you watch Curb or the Goldbergs and you see me eating dinner, right. my, my plate has little cut up pieces of cantaloupe, watermelon, Right. Black olives, like little teeny things. I don't get into them. He made a cake that was sugar-free and gluten-free. Right. So I do the thing, and I thought it would be fine. It goes in my mouth, and I'm like, see, you don't have to worry about the cake anymore. I'll be damned if it didn't hit me hard, right. hard. Right. And I had to do it four more times. I went home. By the way, it didn't knock me off the wagon. 
But I went home with some feelings that were not pleasant. And they lasted. I didn't sleep a wink that night. I felt like shit. So I, had, I knew what to do. I went with my feelings. I didn't go out and buy a real cake. Because right. if I ate a real cake, it's over. It's over. If I have a cupcake, it's done. Um, yep. So even something sugar-free and gluten-free, well, it's like an alcoholic drinking non-alcoholic beer. If you drink, imagine drinking a six-pack of that. It's going to bring back feelings. Even if you're not drunk, it'll bring back feelings. Well, so that I, was a tough one. I, I know some people that, that have had sobriety issues their, their whole life. And I know there's the wagon is the wagon is the wagon. There ain't there ain't no brackish waters in the wagon when the well sometimes like the, that night I was I was on the wagon but hanging on the side yeah I could have easily fallen off the wagon but I climbed back on you know yeah and it, it's like you can't take it you know you can't take a you know if you, if you have trouble with alcohol management or any management food you, it's not you, you can't have a shot of limoncello at Christmas and 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 not go well that did, the world didn't end you know and. <laughs> Cannot, cannot, because because it's going to escalate into something else, and it's and I, I just thought I just thought when I read that quote, I, it was it was something because I don't have food in my house because you know what happens when food is in my house, and or somebody brings me something, you know, they're being thoughtful. It's like hey, you know, you know, like I I know you're not here very often, but here I brought you like some some cookies or whatever, or like you know, I go I go. I cannot accept it. He goes, well, just put it in your cupboard and forget about it. I go, you don't understand. I know it's there. And, and it overwhelms you. And it's, and it's, and it's a comment on Instagram. It's some nonsense in a day. And I'm like, there I am, you know, with the P and M and M's once again, you know, and then, you know, again, first off one step, number one, don't read comments. Because majority of that is somebody living in their mother's basement right. and they're just angry that they're in their mother's basement. So um, don't look there because you're never going to, you will never grow from comments. You might grow. And I have grown when I read when I used to read reviews of my movies. I don't anymore. Um, movies that I made that wrote, I wrote and directed, but I don't anymore. I read nothing. I just do what I do because man, the world is tough enough than to dive into that area, especially comments. But all you got to do, what's that? They're, they're just trying to make you feel as bad as they do. And, and what does that lead to? Your addiction. It, it does. And, and your addiction and my addiction is food. The thing which separates it from drugs and alcohol is you have to have food during the day for nourishment, three times a day at least. Yeah. You know, and, and that is the joke on people who overeat. And also it's the one that nobody respects. I mean, this is actually, it's a bit, but it's not a bit. You know, you're in a nightclub, women see someone smoking weed, snorting Coke, and they might want to fuck them. Nobody's looking at a guy in the corner eating donuts and go, man, he's hot. No one does that ever, you know? So it's the one thing that is so I want to ask you this question. Do you have another one with that? Is there a follow-up with that? And I would say my only two addictions are food and what you're seeing hanging on the wall. Well, by the way, that's where I'm at, and I want to talk to you about this. First off, I guess that the only way, even when I'm filming something, I got to force myself. I want to, but no matter how tired I am at night or early in the morning, to do at least 10, 20 minutes on the guitar, right? Right. 
Okay, mm-hmm. that's that's a common sense one. Yeah. The other one is, I like you. Well, you're a, a guitarist, and you know that's what Nerdville is, the guitar and amps. I started buying everything. I had a '53 tele, all original telly. I still have my. What I've done in my collection of guitars is, I get something that I love that's valuable, but there, it was refretted. Right. Uh, or there was someone removed the uh, the uh, whammy bar and put in a a, a tail uh, on it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I get something great. What are your thoughts on? Because um, I want to play everything, which you do too. Yeah. Um, I remember I w- when I saw you at the at the Pineapple Lounge or whatever the name of the place is. Sugar Mill. Yeah. You were playing like a three hundred thousand dollar guitar. I was. And I said, how do you do that? You said, it's got to be played. It was just a matter of fact. It's got to be played. Yeah. It was beautiful to see and wonderful to hear. What are your thoughts on, and this is not to begrudge uh, my friends, and they are my friends at Gibson. That's who I'm affiliated with. They don't pay me. I have no affiliation with Fender whatsoever, but I love Tellys and Strats. What are your thoughts on, not the custom shop, because the custom shop's, at least Fender-wise, are just a better-made guitar. But what are your thoughts on master-builds? Um, and I know Gibson Custom Shop, they don't do master-built type things. Their custom shops are just their custom shops, which are, to me, Gibson are, I've always said, and I imagine you've thought this or I said it, Gibsons are works of art and a tool, whereas... Tellies are amazing tools. I mean, well, Fender are amazing tools, but I don't look at them as works of art. Like if I see a uh, West Montgomery L5, I can just look at that for 20 minutes. And I'm like, wow. the, 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 to put the binding on it and to bend the wood. All of it, yeah. He was a working man's manufacturer. I mean, he, right. he was, these are guitars for, for, for average Joes that, 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 that we could sell to the masses. He didn't realize, I don't think he realized at the time, how revolutionary that concept was. He, was. he wasn't even a player. He was a radio guy. He was an amp, right. Genius right. amp builder. My thoughts is this. I can show you a $300,000 guitar. I can show you a $600,000 guitar. And it's all, if you're right-handed, it's about the left hand. If you're left hand, it's about the right hand. If you got it sitting next to you, no matter what it's worth, it could be worth $200, $500, whatever, priceless. If the DNA in your body doesn't reach for that said guitar, that's not the instrument for you. And my one of my one of my biggest, uh, you know, the, the advice I give to collectors, I said, don't let other people spend your money. And I said, don't let the internet spend your money. You need to have the well, the the right ear for this is blah 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 blah. You know what the right ear is? It's the guitar that you love and bond with, and right. it could be at any price point. I mean, look at look at how everyone from like Hound Dog Taylor, Jack Pearson here in Nashville. Jack plays a two hundred dollars Squire. Okay, he'll make you cry with it, but that's what he prefers, you know. And uh, I gave him one of my Amos Flying V's, the Epiphone ones, and he loved it because he played on Reese's Reese Winans's record. And he goes, and I just gave it to him, and he goes, he goes, man, what do I owe you? I said, I said, you owe me one video from your Bebop gig with the V. Next week, there he was. Shredding bebop, you know, and like over these, you know, on the flying V. Like, so, so, what you're saying, if I may, is mm-hmm. it doesn't matter 
whether it's a beginner fender all the way through their master belt, all the way to a $600,000 tire. If any of those, well, obviously you have to have the money for the 600,000, but, but, but if whatever, whatever floats your boat in terms of the playing, that's yeah. the guitar for you. Right. And, and, you and I worry about the expensive ones, but for me, just because it's a master build, built by a great master builder, and I like it and it looks like it'll work, unless it really jams into me, no. No. And you know, the I have two, I have I, I serve both masters. Now there are the, the Nerdville is a, a, a double faceted, multifaceted operation. Okay, there's the stuff that I play on, on. There's the 40 or 50 guitars that I own that are constant rotations. It's what I play. It's what I use live. Blah, blah, they're all old ones. Okay, and then there's the museum part of it. Now, I don't have a big enough ego to take a perfect 1954 Strat that looks like it was built yesterday and then you run 100 shows on it. Now it's got right. a few things and some neckwear and stuff like that because I appreciate the history and I like being a custodian for that for another generation to which is beautiful it. yes you know and 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 the 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 sometimes the 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 people who are are not into collecting or ones that just don't get what i'm trying to say is like it's like well every guitar should be played and it should be out gigging I'm like not this one there's plenty of strats you know like my tweet amp collections arguably the best in the world i have about 50, actually more than that. I have about 75 pristine Fender Tweed amps from the mid to late 50s. All like, they, they look like they came out of the factory yesterday and they're all factory, not, not, they're not reconditioned. And they're like, well, it's a shame that they just sit there and, 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 and are not making music and playing shows. I go, there's plenty of other amps you could play through at the show. Why are you beating up this thing that, that is literally a time capsule and deserves to be preserved and, and admired for its ingenuity and how far ahead all this stuff was. Well, that's why I try and buy an older guitar that's got some sort of flaw that a collector wouldn't want. Uh, I, I don't really like when they're refinished, but outside right. of the refinishing, uh, I'm or even touch up even I'm good, you know, because I'm getting the bargain on this beautiful thing that I can play. Right. Do you play that Strat or those amps in your own homes? Or yeah, I fire them up. I yeah, so, so they're being played the same way I would play them. I don't have a gig where I'm, you know, got to have 40 guitars and, you know, yeah. someone's bringing them to me. So they're not they're not going to waste and they're being preserved because you can take the proper care of them in your air conditioned, beautiful home. Yeah, and, and and it's you know I play them and and I'll get them out every one every day if I'm home you know which has been a lot lately. I mean I, I just go out to the vault and you know pull one out and be like hey I haven't seen this one in a while and then you know spend the day you know admiring it and then and bonding with it and it's there's a reason why I bought it in the first place you know. You can even record with it too and be safe. You could totally record with it and and it, and it's you know again it, it's 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 beauty is is it, you know beholden in its beholder. You know, and 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 it's and it's linked. You know, like there's there's a you know, my concern. It's it's not really a concern because I don't care. I mean, I'll, I'll die with this stuff. But but and then my niece and nephew got to deal with it. It's, that's another story. But um, is I look at a maple neck Stratocaster, a Sunburst Les Paul, and I go, Buddy Holly, Mike Bloomfield, Jimmy Page, Clapton. You know, I I, I name associate. Yeah. When 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 the name association attached to the instruments starts to erode 
the undercurrent when you go up to a kid and be like, man, that's a cool Buddy Holly strat. And they go, who the hell is Buddy Holly? That's going to happen. And that's going to happen sooner than we think. It's going to happen in the next 10, 20 years. We're, sooner, we're, I'm sure it's already happening with that. And by the way, you're doing the kid a favor by mentioning Buddy Holly, where to me, the Beatles don't exist without Buddy Holly. Oh, and, and, and you know, my friend Dion, who, 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 um, who was on, he was on that gig. He was at the surf ballroom in, in you know, you know, uh, clear, was it clear Lake, Iowa? And, yeah. and, and, you know, he, direct link to the founding fathers of that rock and roll. And and there's Buddy Guy is a direct link to the founding fathers of Chicago and electrified blues. And, you know, he hung yeah. with, and he hung with, you know, how will be played on those sessions, the session guy. And, you know, so my job as a collector is to preserve a, 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 a snapshot in time between 1950 and 1965 when this country not to sound like all super patriotic, every screw and nut bolt, everything was built here. And yeah, it was built by middle class people like my parents. And 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 somebody had a great idea and conquered the world. So that's that's why I collect. Well I love that and that's beautiful. I have one last question, mm -hmm. which is so you've got a place in New York, mm -hmm. a place in Nashville, and you live you live right by me here. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Do you have a favorite, and and how do you do the three uh, places? Like, how do you maneuver that? A lot of my Nashville stuff is for work. My band is based here. Um, a lot of my logistical stuff here, and plus, I just actually like Nashville. I, I, yeah, Nashville's I, fantastic. I love Nashville. And I got in before I got into Nashville before the explosion of 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 everybody coming from. You know, I was the original one of the original problems. You know. They, they call us problems, you know, California. I don't, you know. And, you know, I'm, you know, Jeff, I, all I can tell you is I'm a blues guitar player with a funny last name, been in the game 31 years, sold 9 million records and, and have gone through four passports. I'm lucky. I worked hard, but I'm lucky. It doesn't work out that way for everybody. I, and I don't apologize for it because I know the amount of time and sweat equity and, and ingenuity that went into you got this. nothing to apologize for. You are all you got. I always tell people the two things that you need to survive in what we do is confidence and right. humbleness. To be grateful for all the opportunities, all the things that you can do, mm -hmm. and confident in what people are giving you money for, what people are looking to you for. Right. That if you know you can do that, where does ego fit in? Nowhere. Completely unnecessary. Completely unnecessary. Confidence mixed with humbleness, a beautiful thing. So you yeah. got nothing to ever apologize for. You know, I, I don't feel entitled to anything other than what I work for. And then when That's I right, and congratulations. You know, and and I and I and I, I, I really try to ultimately, you know, I I I give back. I mean, we we raised four hundred thousand plus dollars last year for musicians. We helped. 231 bands, give them a check for 1500 bucks, you know, and I'd rather do that than, than, than. That's, that's, that's the way I think too. I'm always involved with giving away with chairs. As a matter of fact, 
I'm involved with a charity called Fuck Cancer, and mm-hmm. it's, that's literally what it's called. I love it. Right. It's about it's about it's it's a um, a thing for people to learn about stuff and also to help families who are going through it. It's not research, but anyhow, I have one of those uh, master-built Clapton Blind Faith guitars. Oh yeah, you know? yeah. he signed the cert, and it's a Tele body with a Strat 57 soft V neck, right. which I thought would be my dream guitar. Point being is it's mint brand new. I donated it to my cherry. They're going to auction it off. Yeah. They're gonna, and that thrills me, thrills me, you know, it's going to do but, a lot of good. You know? Well, that's that. I mean, giving is just such a, by the way, to be able to be in a position to give hooray. Mm-hmm. Wow. Right. It's, yeah. it, and it's, it's, it's the best thing we've ever done is raise that money last year. I, I, I believe it. it. My whole career, if somebody said, pick the one thing that you were involved with, that's the best thing you ever said. I said, you know what? Helping bands of, not just blues bands, just anybody, you know? You had a gig, oh. you know? It's like, when you're, you're little, every Christmas special always has that thing about giving is better than receiving. And you're a little kid going, what? I'd rather get toys than give them away. But when you become a man or a woman, whatever, you go, giving feels so much better than receiving Oh my God, it yeah. is just joyful. It, and now, by the way, that is all I'm about now. Right. I look at every opportunity. Will this bring me joy in terms of giving, in terms of the work? Will it bring me joy? And by the way, my friend, you bring me joy. Well, I appreciate that, Jeff. I'm going to yeah. end. I'm going to end with a celebrity question. I yeah. I, I went to um, uh, my friend Jimmy Vivino. Yes. Uh, and by the way, you know, we're about to, we had to stop because of COVID. I couldn't do it. But once I get my shots, uh, mm-hmm. we have a show for Gibson TV that we're doing together, which is, uh, and the first one was just he and I having a conversation like this. But you're like right away, like, we, I think we have Elliot, Elliot Easton was supposed to be our first guest. You were going to be our second guest. Oh. You didn't know that because we didn't have you. But go ahead. About it, Vino. Go ahead. He kept it real simple. Because, you know, he's a musicologist and, you know. Without a doubt. Kept it real simple. And he goes, just ask Jeff, Chicago pizza or New York pizza? For me personally? Yeah. Both. Both. Wow. Because they're, you're like saying to me, Jeff, do you like the ocean or do you like a lake? I like them both. I'm not going to cut down the lake for the ocean. Chicago pizza, when done right, is magnificent, is joyful. New York pizza, I'm sorry, but that's, you got to go to Italy to get any pizza as good as New York. Sorry about any other place. So I love New York pizza, and I love deep dish pizza too, and I would not compare them. And actually, that's my take. They're not comparable. They're two different experiences, two completely different. And I know people who hate deep dish, and I know people who only eat deep dish. Right. They're both they're both wrong. They're wrong because they're both delightful. Lou Malnati's with the uh, cornbread, cr- the corn crust. Yeah, I'm sorry, perfection. You know, you go to New York, any place, any corner, the best pizza. Yeah. There you go. There you go, Jeff Garland. Thank you for being here, man. You're you're a superstar, and I'm honored to be your friend. And uh, you know, and uh, it just you know. Joe, I cannot wait till I give you a hug whenever that that time is. And you know what I want to do someday? And I told Vivino this. Let's figure out a way to gig together. 
Yeah. Like, something. I want to do something where, and we can even do it for charity, where we combine the blues and comedy. Yeah. It's I great. Think that's a natural combo. Absolutely. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Jeff Garland, this has been another exciting episode of Live from Nerville, even though we didn't have a complete intro, but we got one somewhere in the in, it's in, all in, good. All good. Nope. don't you edit this i'm not this is don't it you, this is don't you put in a new intro don't make nope. it smooth because you nope. know what joe you're not smooth you're real I'm t- i'll keep it real for this you're not a balladeer what are you doing keep it real all right thank you that was a joy